welcome to the Hunt Backcountry podcast. This is episode number 349, and our guest today is Jay from The Mindful Hunter. As you'll hear about, Jay recently completed a pretty ambitious pack review. Hours of footage in the review, and I know hours of testing that went into it. And he took a look at some of the high-end packs that are out there specifically for his needs, which are 10-plus day sheep hunts in British Columbia and more. Jay's a very analytical guy, very thorough, and completed this review objectively, having purchased all of the packs on his own dime, spending almost $5,000. And when we saw the review, we really just appreciated his take and the depth that he went into the review and the comparison, and how he didn't just try to pick a winner or say this is the best pack, but really looked at all different aspects of packs and talked about pros and cons. And being analytical gear guys ourselves, Steve and I thought it would be good to talk with Jay and just get his take, understand all of the work that went into the testing, and hear about Jay's future plans for more gear reviews in other categories. I'm personally excited to see how he tackles reviews and comparisons on optics and all types of hunting gear. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Jay. All of the review information and the links that we refer to in the show at our discussion will be in the show description for you guys to check out. As always, if you have anything for us, you can reach us by email to podcasts at exomountgear.com. Or if you have a question for us for a future Q&A episode, look for the link that says leave us a message and you can use your device to talk to us directly and leave us an audio message. Right now, though, let's go ahead and dive into this conversation. Well, Jay, welcome to the Hunt Back Country podcast, man. How are you? Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Super grateful for the opportunity. And as I mentioned before we kind of hit record, it's a bit surreal for me because I've been listening to you guys for years. So super excited to get on here and kind of chat with gear nerds of the of the same level as myself. So thanks for having me on. <laughs> yeah, I it's, think I was, I was gonna say I was super impressed, Jay, just by uh I don't know who sent me your the when you first started the review, but I could tell that um you're very thoughtful about what you were doing, right? Um and uh yeah it was just I was excited to get you on here and just chat through this stuff because um I think you probably learned a lot during the during the pack review process and uh hopefully we can kind of communicate that to the listeners and educate people better on, on how to fit and wear a backpack. hundred percent. And I think there's some greater lessons to be learned about how to look at gear in general that we can also kind of pass on. That's even greater than just the impact on the pack market. Yeah. I love to, man. You, uh, you had called us just the XO line and I happened to answer and you didn't say anything about who you were or a pack review or anything like that. You just literally called me like, Hey man, I got a pack i think you said a couple weeks ago and i'm starting to work with it and i got a couple questions and you and i were chatting and then i think we got 15 minutes into a conversation you mentioned a a review and i was like oh i wonder what he's doing you know or who this is type thing yeah and then the more we talked i was like actually his voice does sound kind of familiar you know but i still had like no idea who you were and uh, it wasn't until after that call that i saw you put a pack review on youtube and then figured out oh we just talked on the phone you know um, so that's how this came about, but like backing up, you know, what we, as we said, want to tease out is not just like about packs or our packs, but like evaluating gear. I'm just super curious. What, 
how did this project come about? And essentially for people who haven't seen the review, what was it? Yeah, sure. So let's let's look at the let, let me lay out the review kind of high level and then I'll back up a little bit and talk a little bit about, you know, the impetus for the review and why I chose to do it the way I did. So at a high level, I originally wanted to do a comparative analysis of kind of the big hunting backpacks, specifically expedition grade. That's kind of my specialty these kind of long range solo hunts living in BC. I have a lot of opportunity for stuff like that. And I also think that's where packs really start to differentiate. I think a day pack or even a bivy pack, it's a lot easier to make a middle of the road pack that satisfies those requirements. That'll get the job done. I think when you start to get up into the 10 day plus category, you kind of separate the men from the boys. So I thought some of the differences would be a little bit more stark and might be a little bit more indicative of, of which packs were pulling ahead. So I originally tried to do six packs. I wanted to include initial ascent. The five, I, I, I tried, they were out of stock. And after three weeks, I just had to proceed with the, with the review. So I had to cancel that order, but I did XO, the K3 6,400. I did the Kuyu Pro 7,800, the Mystery Ranch Marshall, the Kafaru Fulcrum, and the Stone Glacier Sky Guide 7900. And so what actually happened was I was watching an Instagram Q&A and there's another local podcast here and somebody said, could you do a pack review? And his response was, we're diehard Kafaru guys, which I respect. And I have run a, a Kafaru pack for the last five years. And actually the rest of the text was, we're a diehard Kafaru guys. We have no interest in looking at, at any other packs. And it kind of got me thinking about the tribalism in our industry. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, people have this need for a sense of belonging. And I think in this material day and age, we achieve a lot of that through like the products. Like we vote with our dollars. We like your brand. We like your marketing message. We want to belong to your tribe, so we buy your product. And I'm, I'm totally fine with that. And in fact, in my day job, I run a behavioral economics consulting agency, and we deal primarily in consumer psychology and behavior, customer experience journeys, all that kind of stuff. So this is, this is kind of my wheelhouse of, of human psychology. And it got me thinking about it. And then I realized I'd been doing the same thing and that I, I'd been doing reviews, but kind of only the reviews of the companies. That I, that I wanted. And I thought, and this is kind of off tangent, but I've been going down this Mr. Beast kind of rabbit hole lately, who for our generation, most people aren't going to know who that is, but it's the largest YouTuber on the planet. And in fact, he has more subscribers than Netflix, just to put this in context. Literally never heard of him. Now I feel like I'm living in an alternate <laughs> universe. Yeah. This, this dude... <clears throat> This dude is a study in obsessive compulsive behavior. So I think he's 23 or 24 years old. And he literally spent 10 years watching YouTube and dissecting what got the most views. Um, his most famous views is this kind of remake of the Squid Games that he did. But he does these, these YouTube videos that get 5, 10, 50, 100 million views. Like it's unreal. And across his six different channels, he has over 200 million subscribers. So he outsubscribes Netflix as a whole. And he's one person. And I'd been going down this rabbit hole of, of him because I wanted to see, well, what can I learn from him that I could apply to my own YouTube channel and my own social media growth? Because that's my kind of my side hustle and my little passion project. And eventually I'd like to get that to the point where it can be my day job. 
And he does these insanely remarkable things. Like they're almost so audacious that you can't help but talk about him. The first brand deal he ever did, the brand decided to give him $10,000. And he said, I'm going to go give the entire $10,000 away. And he literally went up to a homeless guy and he gave him the entire $10,000. And of course the video just blows up. Like who does that? Like there's no, it doesn't make any sense. But if you're talking about growth as compared to, compared to profit, which are kind of like the two main drivers in any business strategy, if you just wanted to focus solely on growth, it's actually genius. So I started having this idea, like what, if I was to look at pack reviews, what could I do that A is different than has already been done and B would actually merit some legitimate attention. And then I started asking myself, what do I think is currently broken with the review system or the way reviews are approached in the hunting space? And I'm not going to like call out any names here, but for the large part, and I don't begrudge anybody, everything is bought and paid for in the hunting industry. There are very few economically independent individuals in the hunting space. Like the way we get to do what we love to do is by partnerships with brands who then, you know, cover the bills for us to get to go have these adventures and do these things. That's, that's the system. That's the way it's been designed. The unfortunate output of that system is that it creates a biased um, output for the end user. Like I don't trust almost anybody. I trust their opinion on, you know, hunting tactics and how to prepare for the backcountry and these types of things. But like when Crispy sponsors you, I really don't care what you think about boots. I'm sorry. I just don't because you've been bought and paid for. Some people are more honest about that than others. So I decide that's enough. I'm going to take my own cash. I'm going to go buy. And I, I sent my te- uh, this text to my wife because, you know, I like to keep her in the loop. And I'm like, listen, I'm about to drop five grand on backpacks. <laughs> I, I will sell some of these used. I will recoup some of these losses. I know this sounds r- ridiculous. Do you mind? And she kind of just gives an LOL. And she's like, yeah, man, do whatever you want to do. So I'm like, okay, it's time to party. <laughs> And I get super excited and I start hopping all the websites. And, and that's when I thought I continued down this, like what's broken. Okay. The number one, what's broken is that everybody's bought and paid for number two. What's broken is that things don't get looked at in relation to each other. They get looked at independently. And as human beings, we judge things in reference to other things. We're comparative creatures. And if we don't have like an A to compare to the B, it's really hard to understand that point of reference. So I thought, okay, A, nobody's going to pay for this review. B, I have to compare a bunch of different packs and I have to have them all in my hands at the same time. And then the third thing is what most people do, like I've seen some on rock slide and hunting fool where they'll take five or six bags and they go on a hike and then guys kind of give their qualitative opinion about how it fit and they all wear them for half an hour. So I'm like, eh, I'm like, it's okay, but it's subjective. I'm like, how do I introduce some objectivity in this? And that's when I started thinking about a series of tests. Cause I thought, you know, what are the elements that are important to a backpack? You know, we have durability, we have the way it packs, we have the size, we have the cost. I mean, I could, I could go on. I think when I was all said and done, I analyzed something like 26 or 27 independent characteristics. And my goal was for each characteristic to have some form of test that was repeatable and objective. 
And I will be the first to admit that this is not perfect. This is my first kick at the can. I'm actually working on a larger project where I want to start applying this to, to other products and kind of, you know, level this whole idea up significantly. And, you know, I learned a lot from this process, but that's when I designed all the tests. And I think the other kind of um, innovative thing I did was the ranking system. This is another interesting thing about human beings. We always tend to gravitate towards the middle. And if you give people a scale of one to 10, for most things, they're going to pick seven because it allows them to not have to take a stand one way or another. And it's kind of this slightly above the average, but not so high that it stands out. And I thought if I just rank everything out of 10, I'm going to end up with these like mushy readings and there's nothing's really going to stand out. So I thought to myself, I have five backpacks. I'm going to give each backpack a score of one to five. And the best pack in a given category gets a five. The worst pack will get a one. And this will force me to kind of rank objectively the packs. Um, now, one flaw I have seen since then is that I equally weighted all 26 characteristics. And when I continue to design this framework that I'm working on, I'm actually going to weight the different categories because clearly you know, the number of colors that are available for a given pack is not nearly as important as how well the pack carries 120 pounds. And in my current framework, those are weighted equally. In the new one, I got to find some way to give more weight to the ones that are more important. But then essentially, I tested all five packs. I had all five packs beside each other. I didn't realize how important that was because being a, there were things I never would have noticed had I done this one at a time, but it was by having them side by side and being able to look at the load shells and be like, oh, that's interesting. So they do this like this. And these guys over here do like, you know, they, they do it like this, did all the testing, essentially created these two YouTube videos that are about an hour in length and then, and then released it and kind of, you know, the rest is, is history. And the, the interesting byproduct of this is that you also really got to get a glimpse inside the DNA of some of these companies based on like there, I had very different reactions, which I'm happy to dig into if that's of interest from the different companies. And it really, you know, um, helped me understand the kind of nature of the different companies and why you might want to go with one or another or what some of them cared about more than others. Um, yeah. So there's kind of a brief high level overview, not so brief actually, but a high level <laughs> overview of, of, of what I did. I'm happy to, you know, answer any questions or dig into any one of those aspects that's of interest. Yeah. Yeah. But it's honestly all super interesting. It, what was interesting for me with this whole thing is what I learned by how thorough you were and analytical and is like oh he sees it that way or he does this or this stands out like legitimately i feel like i learned from essentially your experience which was interesting from my perspective at least that's super cool yeah what so when you say the value of having them side by side and what you learned from that can you kind of extrapolate on that a bit yeah well it wasn't again i think it's this comparative relationship like when you put on like there are things I've been running a Kafaru fulcrum for five years. I think there's a lot of great things about that pack. And I think there's, you know, a few not so great things about that pack, but when it's the only pack you've ever run, how do you even know that the not so great things are not so great? And how do you know that that's just not the way 
packs feel or fit or, you know, buckle quality, you know, you, yeah, that looks like a decent buckle, but then when you have five different buckles sitting in front of you, you can open it and close them a hundred times each and be like, oh, that's very interesting. And it was like this, you were almost forced to make these realizations that you wouldn't, you wouldn't have ever drawn those conclusions yourself unless you were actually sitting at, at the different versions of them in front of yourself. Yeah, that's like I said, a hundred percent necessary to do side-by-side stuff where a uh, good example, I've been, uh, well, over the last year, Mark and I are doing insole tests and I literally put one in the left foot and one on the right foot and then hike. And then the next day I'll swap it, the swap the two soles of the other sides and then hike again. Um, and it's interesting just how, you know, the different results you get and, uh, and how that all plays out. Mark was just here a few months ago and I'm working on some new design stuff with packs and we each loaded two packs identical, hiked two miles and then swapped, hiked two miles, swapped, right? Because um, it's the only way you can feel it. If it's yep. like, like you mentioned, if it was, you know, you hiked one day and then a month later, try to replicate that route. I mean, just, just how the pack sitting on your body that day is going to change how it feels. So it's almost impossible to come to a conclusion on what is better. A hundred percent. And this was one of the flaws. Like one of the things I got called out on quickly is like when I, when I announced this is what I was going to do, people were like, well, that's going to take a lot of hunts. And I retort, I, I have an issue with using a hunt in order to review a pack because can't. every hunt is different. Your elevation is different. Your humidity is different. It, the weather is different. Are you coming out heavy? Or are you not coming out heavy? Like that's not an objective analysis. That's just taking a pack on a hunt and coming to a, and so I, I, I want to reiterate subjective opinions have their merit and have their weight, but I think they need to be paired with objective opinions in order to come up with an actual clear response about some objective nature about the two different or three different products or, or whatever, what, what have you. So, and actually that's one of the holes. Like I do, I do have a couple big hunts coming up here in the near future. And I do want to do like a, you know, review 1.1 where I almost add, okay, here was my results based on the lab. Now that I've had a chance to run some of these packs out in the field, here's what I would add from a subjective perspective in addition to the objective results that I got. Yeah. Yeah. That's also valid. Cause even going back to extrapolate what you said, Steve, like us doing a test hike, a weighted hike to feel, how does this feel swap after two miles? Do we, we did the same thing on a recent bear hunt of we went into that hunt with different bags and like even small changes on pocket placement, zippers and access. Like when you're using it in the field and then loading your gear and unloading your gear and accessing this and doing that, like all that is another level then of just like continuing to assess and like refine your experience with it. A hundred percent. And I really think the selection, like I believe out of the five I tested, three really stood head and shoulders among the rest. And I, I firmly believe that once you get into those top three, it's it's like a conversation of compromise. At that point, like, what's your personal hunting style? Do you like quick access to your spotter? Do you like multiple pockets? Do you like one big chamber pocket? Do you, you know, and then it's like, what's more, you, you know, is, is load carrying ability that, you know, a slightly superior load carrying ability, is that going to make up for another characteristic that this other one wins out? Like it really becomes a more finely detailed conversation about balancing a very personal conversation about what's most important to you in the pack, you know, regardless of, of what, what pack might be, you know, better per se. After doing the tests, how do you personally weigh for me? I've always said it's frame first bag second, right? Like I don't care what the pocket layout is. If it's not comfortable to wear all day long, 
you know, it's, it's kind of pointless. Um, but that's just my opinion. Well, how did you kind of, after doing the test, do you, do you weight the bag and frame equally? Do you, is it you know more important that it's comfortable on your back and you take a, you know, lesser, less desirable bag with, to go along with that more comfortable frame? I, I, I would agree wholeheartedly. The, the, the most important test for me was what I called the 120 pound comfort test. And I put three 40 pound bags, of kitty litter in each of the bags and walk around. And that's where even at 80 pounds, I had some pretty close. And, and this is, I, I do want to preface this. This is highly dependent on personal body type and personal yeah. preference. Oh, so I, I, you know, these are only, this is my comfort rating. So it was definitely the most important thing. The only caveat to that would be there are certain characteristics that are non-negotiable. Like, and this was this was one of my comments about the exo bag. And it was so funny because so I'm about to go on a 15-day solo stone sheep hunt and I self-film all my hunts. And Steve's probably about to say I'm just shit at packing and need to learn how to carry less things, which is fine. I'm willing to take that one on the chin if we go there. But I, I tend to have these ridiculous loads. Like it's just part of the deal. When you go in for 15 days, like you're talking 30, 35 pounds of food, just right out of the hop. Like it's, it's kind of crazy. And so for instance, and you know, I'll just be, be, be blunt. My only issue with the 6,400 is I physically cannot, and I'm going to, I'm going to put a caveat there. Cause I'm legitimately, once I get all my gear laid out, I'm actually going to try and load up that bag. But based on past experiences, I have some pretty big doubts that I'm going to be able to fit everything that I need for 15 days, along with all my camera gear in that bag. So there's a deal where like, I want to run that frame on that sheep hunt, but the way that bag is set up right now, I'm not sure if I'm actually going to physically be able to do that. So that would be my only kind of caveat to that statement. But overall, I think frame frame is more important than bags, especially with the way everything is designing. You you buy the frame and then you can swap the bag out that goes on it. So I think it's frame first, bag second, for sure. Yeah. I'm just waiting for Steve to like pounce, but okay. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm <laughs> no, <I'm joking>. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, yeah I mean, you I, are at 15 days. Like I said, you're hundred percent, your minimum 30 pounds of food. Uh, yeah. That, that just adds up quick for sure. Well, and it was funny I, when I said that on the podcast, a lot of people sent me different versions of where you guys, cause I was like, I want to hit up EXO. Like, give me a 1500 cubic inch pocket. Like give me a lid that's 1500 cubic inches. And then I go back and I, and I re-listen all the podcasts where Steve is very clear about the strategy of the company, you know, coming from that being my day job. Like I fully appreciate and respect that and understand I'm like the 1% of the 1%. Like there's not a lot of dudes who need a bag and from a business perspective. It's not something that, that makes a lot of sense. I think the only argument I would have is guides. You know, I live in BC. I have a lot of guide friends and lots of times you're carrying all your gear and half your clients because they broke halfway through the hunt. And those guys need, you know, 8,000 cubic inches, give or take, um, in order to get done what they need to get done. And because they're out there for 60, 70, 80, 80 days, as at a stretch, they're also physically capable because I really appreciate that from your guys' perspective as well. I think a lot of guys get overpacked real quick and then they find themselves in a situation where they're walking around with 80, 85 pounds on their back and they're just in no physical condition to actually handle that for an extended period of time. You're almost protecting them from themselves in some, in some regard. I'd be uh, curious for you, uh, just another test to add to it is actually 
figure out a way that you want to measure the volume of the packs and see how everybody stacks up. Cause just like companies like to fudge weight numbers, um, it's pretty easy to fudge and kind of play with actual cubic inch volume. Um, you know, I think just different materials that you use the medium to measure it, you're going to get different results. Um, how, you know, we kind of have our in-house way we've done, have done it and try to be consistent, but I know it differs from everybody else. So I think our 64 is probably 72, 7,300. If you added up every possible square inch between the lid and side pockets and, and just jam that thing full. Um, I'd be curious to do a, if you could do a comparison on that. Yeah, that's a great point. And one of the things I was going to do, I called it a practical volume test. And originally I was just going to start stuffing it full of sleeping bags and stuff. And I thought this isn't very scientific. So here's another example of where field testing, I'm literally going to put out on a table, every single thing I need from the sheep hunt. And then I'm going to load it up. Cause I also think it's about the practical loading capability, like the bag. Yeah. This is one of my issues with the Kuyu bag. There was so many weird pockets everywhere and stuff. I'm like, you're never going to be able to fully utilize all this volume because there's dead space. Every time you have these little smaller pockets kicking off to the side and sure they add cumulatively add to the gross volume of the pack, but they're also going to add to the dead volume of the pack because you're never going to fill each of those pockets a hundred percent. So I, I, I couldn't agree more. And that's something I'm very interested to dig in, which is why I, I do say it with a reservation. Like there is a chance when I actually put everything out on the table and it might be a good challenge for myself too, because I do think there's, there's room for improvement in my packing system. And I think I probably go in, you know, a touch heavier than I need to sometimes. And what, that would what, be a good challenge for myself. Kata, I mean, you said you were how many pounds going in for 15 days, 90. Yeah. So la- to put things in perspective, when I did a solo goat hunt, um, in 2020, no 2021. Yeah. Solo goat hunt in 2021, I was 89 pounds with a weapon. What and month then, was that as well? Just curious. That was in February. Oh, so that, the winter. Now, yeah. oh, dude, yeah. this is crazy. You're talking snowshoes, ice axes, climbing yeah. rope. Like mm. that, and that, that's another example of one of those hunts where it's like, I don't care what you do. Uh, you're also carrying a, a, a minus 20 synthetic bag. Like there are, there are, well, I was on the, the far, like literally across the strait from Alaska, like the far Northwestern corner of, um, British Columbia, right on the edge of the ocean. Like it is just an unbelievably hellacious place where it's wet and it's cold and it snows and it sleets and it. So you literally had to have everything. So that's another example of one of those hunts where you're just not going to get away from it. Like you're just not, you're going in heavy. Yeah. Yeah. That, that makes a lot more sense for sure. That's a, as you said, that's a 1% scenario, right? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So yeah, it has its place. You, once you start adding winter gear, technical gear, camera gear, weapon, like those weights are going to add up fast for sure. Yep. So, um, what, I guess I'm one of the questions I just am curious about, you spend five grand, you do a a ton of time investment and time in this very analytical, very thorough, having done some content reviews in the past. Like I just know how much work you have into this. And then you release this thing out into the world. (laughs) What has been, the the response to it because to be honest with you i haven't followed that like i don't i don't know how many comments there are on youtube or social media or what buzz has happened on forums or none of that stuff like i have no idea so both from a 
like what what did you receive has been helpful to people and then what are your i guess i'm also curious what have you been surprised by in terms of the response to it as well yeah really great questions so i will say unequivocally i view it as a success and i was very clear going into it as far as the investment piece both in my time and financially that this was more of um I look at this, so Mindful Hunter is the name of my kind of hunting project. And I have a podcast and I have a YouTube channel and all that kind of stuff. So I looked at this through the perspective that this was a marketing spend for Mindful Hunter. So if it didn't produce $1 in revenue, it was, if it still achieved that marketing perspective and it helped get me in front of more new people, um, then it would be a success. And I can say it, it, it's the most successful review I've ever done. I have some other pretty good reviews that do all right on YouTube, like some optic stuff and some tent stuff. And all of my most popular reviews are comparative where I, you know, last year I bought two Hilleberg tents and set them up beside each other, the Hilleberg and the, um, uh, now I'm gapping. Is it the Enon? It's the one person. Yeah. Enon. Enon. And I set up the solo beside the Enon. And there's another thing where it's like, who's spending two grand on Hilleberg tents? Luckily in Canada, I sold the Hilleberg for more than I paid for it because by the time <laughs> you get things across the border, they're a pretty rare commodity up here. I've had decent success before, but the backpack, and they're, all, they're at 5,000 views a piece on YouTube. Like, let's not kid ourselves. It's not like these things blew up to astronomical proportions. But for my scale and for where I'm at, they're the most successful review video I've ever done. In addition to that, the, the amount of positive feedback that I got from people, it was like touching to the point where you almost like, you know, get a little choked up every now and then, like guys reaching out with these DMs, like, man, I haven't been able to make a decision for three months. I don't have a whole lot of money. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. At watching this, it just changed everything. You you talked about things that other people aren't talking about, and you and you were honest, and you dug into a thing, things that other people didn't talk about. In the same breath, like if you go on rock slide, there's some dudes who are not so happy and have some very you know clear <laughs> feedback, and that's like one of my issues with with you know rock slide. It's like, come on, guys! Like if all if you've got enough time to sit around in there and just shit on other people. It's like, have a look at your own life and why don't you go make something instead of just worrying about, but even on there, it was still mostly positive. And some of the constructive feedback, I try and be as open as possible. Like I'm not perfect. There's always room for improvement. And there are people who have been doing this a lot longer than I have. And even on there in some of the negativity, I was like, okay, that hurts to read, but he's right. There was a, there's a, you know, there was a gap in here or, or I could have done this better, but, and the other thing that I'll get into now, I think it, because part of the response that was a bit shocking was how different the response from the companies were. So I had talked to you beforehand simply because I always have a, a belt fitting issue. And that's one of my only issues with EXO. I do think your the belt sizing is a little bit funky in that. I think they're a little bigger than their size. So I'm a 38 inch waist and I got that large and I was almost touching. Hmm. Um, and I did have some feedback from some other guys that they, they agree as well, that they probably needed to, like, if you're close to the borderline, they needed to downsize. But again, you guys would probably know this better because if people aren't returning belts and people aren't complaining, 
there's a lot to do with the actual shape of the hips and where the iliac crests are and that, which I, I'm willing to admit my situation is a one-off, but that's why I yeah. originally called because I was like, I think I need to move to a medium belt, but I don't want to go to the expense and the pain and it shows up and it's too small. So we had a pretty in-depth that's right, conversation. Yeah. But other than that, I didn't tell anybody I was, I was doing the reviews because I didn't want to be influenced. And within an hour of the, of them going up all you guys, Kafaru and stone glacier touched base and touched base with the utmost of integrity. All three of you were like, saw the review went up, think it's great. If you need anything, just let us know. We're here. If you want some clarification for the part B of the review. And I'd made some marketing comments about EXO in the first one that Mark, you touched base just to ask for further clarification. You didn't even say you necessarily disagreed with them. And this was the thing that really stuck out to me. Like that requires such confidence on behalf of the companies. Like nobody got offended. Nobody tried to influence the review. Like so you guys, Kafaro and Stone Glacier really stood out above the crowd. Kuyu and Mystery Ranch still to this day you know, have never, have never reached out. And I think that says something. I think that says something about their engagement with their consumers and their strategy as companies. And I'm not even going to assign a, a value to that. I don't know if it's good. I don't know if it's bad, but I think it says something about who they are and about, um, you know, what their values are in relation to, to customer relationships. Yeah. And as you said, like, the, the stuff you mentioned, I was like, well, generally, honestly, just trying to get feedback. I'm like, oh, he said some stuff in there that isn't the way I see it or or the way I think that, yeah, it was just it, it almost going back to what I said before about me learning from you in this process, both on the packs as well as like what ended up being some marketing comments. I was like, just honestly, super curious because as we've said this whole time, like, there's objectivity, there's subjectivity. And so your experience, Jay, and how you perceive things, whether that's with the pack or with us as a company, it's like, I just want to learn from that because it's, it's a, an interesting example of because you're so analytical and then sharing so much information, it's like, you're, you're vocalizing things that other people may think, but I just will never get a chance to hear if that makes sense. Yep. Totally. And I think it speaks to like a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. I think there's organizations that see themselves, this is who we are, this is what we do, and we're going to stand firm. And then there's other organizations that recognize there's opportunity for growth and that feedback in whatever form it comes in can be valid. And so I think that's a lot to what I saw from those three particular companies is a willingness to, to, to kind of learn and grow. Hmm. I'd love to hear a bit more, Jay, on, as you said, other other gear. Um, and I'm happy to keep talking about anything on the pack review if you want to, or anything that stands out, but just, um, again, since you do have a different context in BC, you're hunting different season species, places doing it for the long haul solo, both your, the way that you view gear in general, and we can take that in a bunch of different directions, but then tying that also to this review in particular and how you plan to continue to then evaluate gear in the future. So I know that's super broad, like open-ended, but take that where you will. I, I think it's a really interesting question. And one of the things that I've learned as I continue on this gear journey that I think 
the sooner people can learn this, the the better the off they're going to be. There is very little one size fits all in this market. So I, I think the reason people are so frustrated with gear and find it hard to make a purchase is that they're trying to find a Swiss army knife and they're trying to find something that does everything. They're trying to find the shelter that's going to be lightweight and flexible for early season use, but then is also going to be able to stand up to 18 inches of snow in, uh, for a late season elk hunt. And they're looking for pants that are going to be light and dry quickly, but then also stand up to thorns. And they're looking for glass that's going to be clear and crisp and also only costs a thousand dollars. And I think one of the best things you can do for yourself is outline, you know, and I like Steve's comment frame first bag second, what I always say to clients, and sometimes it's received well, and sometimes it's not received so well, is if I put a gun to your head and said, you could only have one thing, tell me what that one thing is. So if you're, if you're planning your, you know, summer, your, your August sheep hunt, like I am right now, and it, and it comes down to a shelter, you know, and, and somebody said, I'm going to put a gun to your head. What is the one thing you cannot sacrifice about your shelter? I would say it's stability in harsh um, weather, specifically wind. And so here's a, here's a really good example. I'm a big tarp guy. I've got a Kafaru mega tarp. I got a seek outside 12 man TP. I'm a big fan of, of floorless shelters. Um, I like lightweight stuff. I also am a big guy. You know, I'm, I'm six foot one, 220 pounds right now. And I need a lot of room inside my tent. So when I was originally trying to decide which shelter I was going to take on my sheep hunt last year, I was going back and forth between the Onion and the Niac. And both of them, the Onion is slightly bigger. It's a tunnel shelter. And as far as physics go, tunnel shelters tend to be the biggest bang for your buck as far as internal volume to weight of shelter. And so you're really, you know, splitting hairs when you get into the differences between the NIAC and the Onion. But at the end of the day, the Onion is not a freestanding shelter. And this was the same reason why I chose the Solo over the Enon for the goat hunt. And the Solo is a freestanding shelter. And a lot of people say, I put too much weight into that. But it's like, if you're in really harsh circumstances and you lose a guy line in the middle of the night, those tunnel shelters are falling over. That's just the fact of the matter. Yes, if your guy lines come out in a freestanding shelter, you might get the shit beaten out of you for a little while and you might need to get out and replace some guy lines. You might not. But the other thing is, do you even have access to guy lines? Certain snow conditions make placing guy lines really tricky and certain rocky situations in some of the places where I sheep hunt make guy lines very tricky. So that's where outlining to myself that ultimately the thing of most importance was the durability in harsh weather and secondarily the internal volume that helped me make that decision. And I think if people were a little more, and, and British Columbia forces you into these situations because there is no way you're going to buy any type of gear, apparel, boots um, that is going to get you through an entire year in British Columbia and cover a winter goat hunt um, on the coast 
to a early season mule deer hunt, to a fall elk hunt, to a spring bear hunt. Like my gear locker is insane. My wife would have a heart attack if she actually knew the investment that went into that place. But that's because the circumstances are so varied. So I think, and maybe that's one thing that I bring to gear reviews that's a little bit unique is my ability to articulate kind of what is of utmost importance on a given, on a given hunt. And that's why when people say like, what's the, what's the perfect X, I'm always like, well, what are the conditions, man? Because if you're trying to buy something that's going to to fit for everything you do, you're basically going to have, you know, I remember one time a negotiations professor telling me a compromise is just everyone agreeing to lose. And I feel the same way about gear. When you buy something in the middle of the road, that's kind of good at a whole bunch of stuff. You're just really buying something that doesn't excel at anything in particular. So I think that might be, you know, one of the biggest insights I've had into gear and it means spending more money or it means just being more particular. You don't have any, then pick the hunt, pick the type of hunt that you like to do the most or pick a family of hunts. I think you can find mule deer hunts and elk hunts that require some of the similar gear and you can kind of stay in that wheelhouse, but at least then you're, you're recognizing that that's a decision that you're going to have to make. Yeah, I think it's great. It, um, it made me think of what you mentioned before in the pack review on tying in, yes, your ranking per category, but giving weights to those categories. Right. So like if, if you were to do a shelter review and you gave a context, you could say, you know, I will rate color options for the shelter or whatever, but here's like the most important ranking for this review because of the context is going to be stability. Um, so that could, you know, backwards translate to like, as you said, what you learned from the pack review. Yep. hundred percent. Let's uh, go back, uh, Jay. And, and what were the criteria, the different elements you did in the pack review? Hang on one second. Let me open up my, uh, my spreadsheet here. Yeah. Yeah, we can go through a bunch of the packs. I was, uh, I found it super interesting, Jay, and now it makes sense knowing what you mentioned about your professional background on the show because I didn't know that. But you even talked a bit about the purchase experience and shipping and like the whole you know two year door process, which I'm like, oh, that doesn't really get mentioned in too many gear reviews, but it, it can be a very valid point. Well, it's kind of funny. Some of my biggest clients are like Lululemon, Arcteryx, uh, Adidas. So it's like, and we work on the like in-store experience and you know, the shipping experience and all that kind of stuff. And the hunting space, not to be negative, but it still has a long ways to go in a lot of realms to catch up to, to certain other industries that have way bigger markets and bigger R&D budgets and all that kind of stuff and invest a lot more in this kind of thing. So I'm also always kind of like looking at it through the lens of working with organizations like that. So I try and kind of, you know, take it with a grain of salt as well, because I honestly believe everybody's trying to do their best with, with what they've got as well. So going from right to left, we have price. Oh, and I'm going to have to stop already. So one of the criteria that I weighted was weight honesty. And this was one of the biggest shockers to me. So I thought it would be very interesting to take the stated weight on the website and see how that compared to the actual weight when the packs showed up. Um, in weight honesty, you guys got first place. You and Stone Glacier, sorry, you and Stone Glacier tied for first place. I think you guys, I think 
and, and in all fairness, I bought one of the bigger packs. So I think it was like 0.25 pounds. It was advertised at 5.75 pounds and it showed up at, at six pounds, which is probably the difference in the, the belt and the shoulder straps that I, uh, yeah. So yeah, if, you had the large, belt. Our, yeah, our belt from a small, I think it goes about an ounce and a half to up to your three ounces heavier to go from a small to a large, I, th- I think three to four ounces. Yeah. yeah that's, so perfect. That's four, four ounces. Yeah. That's, that's exactly where that came in, yeah. which yeah. to me is an, it was 4% when I calculated it out, which to me is like a rounding error. You know, I'm like, yeah. that's not yeah. even yeah. a big deal. Um, and I, you know, I've already talked to Snyder about this and he's aware of this, but the Kafaru fulcrum was uh, advertised at 7.12 pounds and showed up at 8.9 pounds. And I'm like, it's 1.78 pounds. And I'm like, I'm sorry. That's not, I, I, I don't accept that as an, you know, as an accident or as like a, a thing. And it was funny after I, I made a post about that and I'm like, that's 25%. And so when you're on that site and if you're at home doing this comparison, you're like, well, this pack 7.1 pounds and this pack is 6.1 pounds. That's only a pound of difference. That's going to influence your decision to a certain degree. But what if somebody said this pack is six pounds and this pack is nine pounds? And it's like, okay, wait a minute. This is, that's a difference of almost 50% from six pounds. Well, it's exactly 50% from six pounds to nine pounds. And so that was a bit of an issue. And I had a chat with Snyder about it. And I think there are individual pack, you know, there's, there's manufacturing inconsistencies and I'm willing to like wave a little bit of that. But I also think it was an optimistic weighing experience. I think you take a bunch of stuff off that pack, you know, that maybe you need, maybe you don't need. And I think you can get it down to 7.12 pounds, but that pack does not weigh 7.12 pounds when it shows up at your door. And it was funny after I posted that a bunch of there's apparently whole threads on, on rock slide where everybody's weighing their stuff as it shows up and they're quite consistently heavier than advertised. And my thing was like, what's the benefit? Like, you know, who you are you as Kafaru, you know what you're getting when you buy Kafaru. They're a, they're a premium pack. They're meant for really heavy loads. They're meant for people who like to um, uh, customize and modify. And like, they sit in a space don't try and compete with stone glacier on weight. You're just not going to, because they're a completely different pack company with a completely different ethos and a completely different customer demographic. So my thing was like, I don't even think this is really helping you. And my recommendation was, I think we should be doing packs. Like we do tents, a full weight and a stripped weight or a shipped weight and a trailhead weight. And that way somebody knows, okay, this is what it's going to show up in the mail. But if I'm a minimalist guy and I can get away with one less compression strap and I can take these buckles off here, I can get this pack down to, you know, like, just like you would with a tent. What's the minimum number of pegs that I need, which is, a, you know, when I go sheep hunting, I don't take all the pegs. I just take what I actually need. Anyways, that's yeah. a bit of a digression, but it was things like that, that um, again, if I'd have only done the one pack and I saw that it was 25% out, maybe I just would have thought, ah, I'm sure the other guys are out as well. But this was another situation where, because I got to have them all side by side and saw that you and Stone Glacier, and for people listening, Mystery Ranch and Kuyu were 10% out. Mystery Ranch said it was 7.1 pounds and it showed up at 7.8. And Kuyu said it was 6.1 pounds and showed up at 6.7. Um, and just for people, if they're curious, I literally took it out of the box, took the tags off and put it on a scale. So did nothing to any of the bags. So Back to the categories. We have price, weight, honesty, weight to capacity ratio, which was my ranking of uh, cubic inches per pound. 
um, shipping speed, purchase experience, Canadian bonus. I'm in Canada and it costs an ungodly <laughs> amount of money to get things across the border. So if the pack had, and if I, if I was fair, I should have done an American bonus. Cause for instance, I know it's really important to some people where things are made in the States. And that could have been something I, I asked lids are one of my, um, quirks. I'm very particular about a lid. So I ranked lids fitting. And that was basically how easy it was to fit the bag to my body and not so necessarily how quickly I got it to fit me, but how intuitive was it to fit the bag to anyone's body? I then did 40 pounds, comfort, 40 pounds, lateral stability, 40 pounds, vertical stability, the lumbar pad, load lifter angle, uh, meat shelf, color options, accessories, training. And that was how easy it was to convert to a training bag. So kind of like how quick could I strap in a bag of salt or a 45 pound weight plate and just go for a hike, a warranty functional volume. And that's the thing that we're talking about earlier, Steve, which I think I can mm -hmm. do a better job at once I've got real world materials, hardware. And then I did 80 pound and 120 pound comfort lateral stability and vertical stability. How are you measuring lateral and vertical? Is that on your back or just putting the frame on the ground and twisting it and standing on it? Yeah, it was, it was on my back and it was loaded and it was, this is not as perfect as I want. And I'm actually looking to build like, um, a mannequin with an actual hip on it. So I can take physical measurements. The next time I do this, literally all I would do is I would load it up, put the weight and then I would, for lateral stability, I was twisting side to side and seeing how far the bag would, sh would shift or slide. Mm. And, and then doing that with all five bags in a row, making some notes, taking a break, doing with, with all five bags in a row in a different order. And I kind of ran through that three or four times and then was just trying to place them in a best to worst situation. And then uh, the, the vertical stability was the same thing, but with a small jump and then seeing how, how how far the bag would travel up and down my back kind of for that, you know, unweighted moment there at the peak of the jump mm -hmm. and load lifter angle. Obviously that's just a function of frame height. Yeah. hundred percent. And here's another really good example where like, uh, this is a perfect example. So I'd made some comments about load lifter angle. I was unaware that you guys had the two and a half inch frame extension option on the bags. Mark watched the first review. And when he reached out, he's like, Hey, I just want to let you know that. Cause I do have, I'm a six foot one guy with a 32 inch inseam, which means I have a slightly larger than average torso. And he reached out and said, Hey, just so you know, you can, you can increase the frame by two and a half inches, which I think is ingenious. I'm super impressed by that modification a with how easy it is. And B I think load lifter angle is one of those things underappreciated by people, especially when you get up into those like 80 to 120 pound loads. Like it's really, really important. And some of the bags, it's like parallel. And I'm like, guys, this is not how this is supposed to operate. You know, mystery ranch. I made a lot of kind of negative comments about the stays in their backpack. I see them as very flimsy. I didn't I just didn't understand the design choices that they made. So I ranked them appropriately. It wasn't until afterwards when a guy I won't name who 
is sponsored by Mystery Ranch, but has run Mystery Ranch for years, reached out and was like, that's actually part of the design process. So they have chosen, instead of going with a very stiff stay, to go with a flexible stay that moves with your back. And he had a lot of really good reasons why that would be a good design approach. But like, if the brand had actually reached out and had somebody explain that to me, then maybe I would have had a more, which is why I think this, the value of the customer relationship kind of can't be overstated because like, how are we supposed to know this stuff if you guys don't tell us, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're not yeah. going to just know. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, that's but it was hardest, measured uh... visually, by the way, the load lifter angle. So what I would do is I would load the pack up and I would get in the mirror and I would literally just try and eyeball what that load lifter angle is and then compare it against the rest of the packs. Yeah. 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 It's, it's one of our hardest things is just doing everything we can to educate the customer. Cause a lot of guys just, you know, we're, we're lazy. We procrastinate. We, we buy it back. We, you know, go on a hike or two. We don't watch the videos, you know, I mean, it's trying to, um, you know, one of my goals is always to simplify the pack as much as possible. So it, it doesn't take an hour of YouTube videos to figure out all the features, right? It should be fairly intuitive. Um, like getting the bag off the frame is a good example of like, I, I want you to be able to do that. Like for the first time blindfolded in the dark, um, yeah. You know, because that uh, might be when it happens. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it is. We, yeah. we go to we go to trade shows and guys are, you know, that's our chance to be face to face with customers. And I get that all the time. Like, I, I was so glad that was easy to use because I didn't take the time to figure it out. And I was, you know, it was dark and I'm with a headlamp trying to load up an elk. And um, yeah, everything's got to be just, you know, keep it simple. This is the other thing that I really took away. And I, I and I know I'm going to speak to some deaf ears here, but you need to set up and take down your gear multiple times before you go on a hunt. Cause I'll be brutally honest. If I'd have ranked things, for example, it's the meat shelf. If I'd have ranked the meat shelves based on one instance of loading it up, things would have wound up very differently. It wasn't until I'd loaded them and unloaded them like three or four times that I was like, Oh, well, I could actually take this strap and put it over to here. And if I, well, if I feed these straps through here and bring them around the top, that actually fits a lot better. And it, it was only through experience of setting them up and taking them down a few times where I actually came to those conclusions. And I think that's invaluable. And I would really urge people, you spend a lot of money on this gear, like take it out, set it up, take it down, play with it before you get, get out in the field, because you're going to learn so much about the way that it works. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so important. Not, not just for packs, but yeah, shelters, like your weapon, yep. like that extends to man, everything. hundred percent. Yeah. Way you lace your boots, right? Like you could just yep. go on and on and on with all the lessons you can learn from that. What, um, to be honest with you, I don't recall. Um, I'm just asking this question, like very personally, personally, selfishly, I would ask you offline, but I'm just doing it now. What was your experience with fit, like with our pack and specific, again, I'm just trying to get feedback on like, here's a guy who got a pack out of a box. You've never used our pack before. Like, um, how was that process for you? It was really good, man. Um, you guys got number one in fitting. We'd, I think packs have taken a somewhat similar stance to boots and tires. So with a tire, you can have a wide tire that has a lot of surface area and then creates friction through having more area of the tire in contact with the road at one point in time, same as a boot, wider sole, or you can get a narrower tire that's going to create, you know, traction through placing more pressure per square inch because more of the weight of the vehicle 
is concentrated on a smaller area of tire. Same as a boot with a smaller sole, you're going to get a little more nimble of a boot and you're going to be able to walk on the kind of rocky stuff a little bit better. And one of the things I learned from the packs is that people are approaching kind of uh, hip belts and shoulder straps in the same way. There seem to be companies either use like a, a wider kind of, uh, I, like for lack of a technical term, like more squishy uh, material, or they use a smaller, more firmer material. The Mystery Ranch and the Stone Glacier would be examples of smaller, firmer. And whereas you guys are a little bit, the hip belts are a little bit wider, the shoulder straps a little bit wider. There's a more, there's a little bit more give to each of that. And for a big guy like myself who carries heavy packs, it was just very comfortable right out of the gate. Um, and it was very easy to fit to my, to my, to my body. I don't think you guys got first place in fitting and then, uh, who you actually got, got second after that. I really had high hopes for that pack, but as soon as you put 80 pounds in it, the thing just falls apart. Um, not to, pick on Kuyu, but yeah what why did it fall apart their their carbon fiber frame is okay garbage so it just starts flexing it just starts flexing and in fact i I remember grabbing it one time and i'm like i wonder what i can do with this thing and like gave it a little jerk and i just hear this crack and i'm like are you come on guys like what are you doing man um yeah and and and, yeah and i've had so many uh, you know again i'm not going to throw them under the bus but there's a kuyu sponsored athlete who touched base and he broke a frame at 60 pounds just snapped the carbon fiber right in half and um either they got to go back to the drawing board with how they're at like there's so many different ways to produce carbon fiber these days whether it's forged or layered or what have you dry carbon fiber whatever process and this was one of the reasons i wanted to use the initial ascent bag and I'm, i'm interested to try that out is I think they've used a different manufacturing process for their carbon fiber frame. And I don't think it's as flexible, but ultimately I think that frame is just, you know, and like, like, this is kind of funny too, where it's like, look at the type of people using something and the type of weight that those people are actually using. And maybe the QU bag does what it needs to do for the people who are buying it. I know there's people who love that bag. I think there's a lot of cool stuff about that bag. But again, this goes back to that gun to your head comment. Ultimately, I need to know what's going to happen when you when you put 120 pounds in it. And the bottom line is that pack fails at 120 pounds. So at that, at that point, I don't really give a shit if you've got fancy pockets and cool zippers and little Easter eggs kind of hidden everywhere. I really think that 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 frame needs work. Did you appreciate throughout the test? Did you appreciate the packs with stiffer frames? Kind of yeah, hundred percent. I am, 100%, I am a yeah. stiff frame and it's interesting. I've got a seek outside pack on the way and I had a chat with one of their guys and they've gone the other route. They've gone highly flexible, but they explained why they made the decisions that they made. And I'm very mm-hmm. interested to see how I fare with that. But again, I think it's a very seek outside is also another ultralight company. And this is like, I wanted to get into more ultralight packs, like the Z packs and the hyper lights, but people need to understand Hunters are not through hikers. Like these guys are walking around with 40 pound loads on their back and they're going in there for a month to two months like this. And you can build a pack differently for people who require loads like that than you can. Hunting is one of the only things where you should expect to have in excess of a hundred pounds on your back if you come out successful. And I think that just holds us to a different standard.
standard. So for me oh, personally, yeah. yeah, I'm a, I'm a stiff stay guy for sure. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. To me, it's, I'm trying to find the perfect balance of, uh, you know, with 30 pounds, the pack needs to move and flex and be comfortable on your body. But what can't happen is when you throw a hindquarter on there, you cannot deform the shape of the suspension. Right. And that's where the stiff frame kicks in. Um, cause you start tightening up con- compression straps, you know, the, the number one thing you can't do is barrel, right? The whole thing can't just turn into a rounded shape where all of a sudden the harness isn't sitting on your body properly. Um, so this but, is what happened with the mystery ranch. I mm-hmm. literally had bags of kitty litter digging into my back and I, I made the comment, you know, I've had people like requote this on, on Instagram multiple times. It was the only pack that was actively painful with 80 pounds. Like there was like, somebody had stuck something in my back. Like it was poking right through the frame. And that's my argument against these hyper flexible stays. Like I don't, you, you know, you put an out quarter back there, it's going to do the same thing. Yeah. You just can't barrel. I think I could talk to you for 20 hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just, I'm, just I'm, go, I'm happy to any, uh, any time, man. Yeah. It's rare to, just, yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's fun to, um, I've been, you know, I've been doing what you're doing, uh, what you did in this review for 10 years now, just constantly prototyping and hiking and testing and working on different variations and finding what works and what doesn't. And it's fun to chat with somebody who's analytical. Well, and I think it shows, man, and I'm not going to go blow smoke up your guys' ass, but I, I said this in the review, the XO for me was the surprise because I thought I was going to come away and I try to approach this stuff bias free, but I thought the stone glacier was going to be the one for me that was going to stand out simply because knowing what I know about stone glacier, and I think they make really great products. I don't know if it was, like I said, maybe some of my early exposure to XO. I, I don't know why, but I had you as like a middle of the road pack, but once you get the pack, you're clearly a premium pack. You know, I think your price point, it is, um, you got second price, second place for pricing. The only bag that was cheaper was the Mystery Ranch Marshall, and I sure as hell hope it's cheaper for what you get. Um, and so, in my mind, I just wasn't expecting it to be what it was. And then when I got it, I was just like, I mean, this is a great pack. There's you know a couple little minor tweaks, and yes, I'd like a little bit more space, but you know that's not the end of the world. But it was just, you know, it was a really impressive pack. That's the bottom yeah. line. Yeah, that's an interesting. Um, conversation on marketing. Cause obviously we're um, we've, we've, we've always shied away from, we, we try to market to the everyday guy, I guess, right. just because that's Mark and I talk about this, you know, behind the scenes, it's like, that's who we are. So we can't be yes. fake. We're not, you know, elitist. All we do is sheep hunt. We're the badasses of the world. It's not who we are. Um, the pack is surely designed to compete with anything out there. Um, but I think that our kind of Mark and I's attitude translates into our marketing, which translates into, well, these guys aren't, you know, every picture is not a, on a, you know, uh, scree slope up in, you know, up in the Alpine, yeah, making yeah. it look like we're badasses. Uh, so it kind of, um, and a, it's almost an, a downside to us is uh, we don't put out that vibe that we're elite. Um, I think you had made the comment about, you know, I think we, you think we sponsor a lot of YouTube guys. Yeah. Um, there was something along those lines and it's like, it couldn't be Mark sent that to me. And I was like, that's, that's crazy. Like that's, I guess. Yeah. Um, we do, but honestly, no, we don't, uh, like born and raised as Cody has been one of my best friends forever. Um, who would, I guess, who do you see wearing us on YouTube? 
Okay. So it was funny. I had this exact conversation with Mark and then I had to actually question myself. Like, why do I have this opinion? And what happened was right around that 2018 time period that we're talking about when I saw you on the hunt with the born and raised crew, Mm -hmm. I was really watching a lot of hunting content and overnight, everyone I was watching started wearing EXO. Mm. We're talking Corey Jacobson, born and raised outdoors, top priority, some of the hush guys. Um, and then, and so what it felt like was that you were pursuing like a crispy slash vortex who uh, I do know yeah. pay for a shitload of YouTube marketing. And yeah. so psychologically, I just, I, or subconsciously, I just lumped you in there and I'm like, yeah. Oh, these guys are like those guys. They've got a middle of the road product and they're going to give it to a bunch of people and then everybody's going to see it on YouTube and they're going to go buy it. And I, I, I willingly, and I did a nice opener in the second video where I kind of recanted that statement because okay. after talking with Mark, it became very clear that that wasn't what happened, but it was just, be- I mean, now I see why like they, they wore the pack and they just liked it. You know what I mean? Right. And, and I think getting some free gear is different than sponsoring everybody on the planet. If people are making content and you let them wear a pack, that's one thing actively paying people to say good stuff about your, your pack, I think is completely different. And mm-hmm. I did, it did become clear that that, that wasn't, that wasn't the case. It just because of the time and yeah. place and the content I was consuming kind of felt that way. Mm. No, I, I'd say that I saw it and I talked to Mark I was like, you know, that's, that's not reality, but that's his perception yeah. and perception is reality. Um, so it's something that we, you know, maybe we need to address and do a better job of explaining, you know, who we are and what we're doing and, we are, I think we're certainly um, probably one of the harder companies to get anything from free wise or discount wise. Um, we're, we're definitely not just handing them out to anybody and everybody. Yeah. It was interesting. Like that's the specific group of guys you hinted at with born and raised Steve. It's like, Corey's like local, right? Like there's these yeah. guys that we've just <laughs> yeah. been fortunately friends yeah. Yeah, with I think we've like been really top priority. Lucky. And yeah. you know, it's like, knowing all those guys, as I told you, Jay, like before EXO existed, right? So it wasn't like this grand, like brilliant strategy of like, let's take over YouTube. It was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. oh, like a bunch of our friends like happened to, you know, yeah. do content and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, especially as we go back in time, they've all been wearing it since the beginning and think of how small things were. They just was like, oh, super cool. Like we know Steve and he's starting a pack company. Let's check it out, you know? And it, Fortunately, he's had reach essentially. I also think the thing that can't be understated is that you guys were one of the innovators in the load shelf space. And I still remember the first year I signed up for Elk 101, Corey Jacobson's Elk University, he was still advocating a two pack system. He -hmm. would have an external frame pack at camp and he would have a day pack that he would wear and he would hunt all day with the day pack and take out his first load. And then he would switch to the frame pack. And then the following year after he'd switched to EXO, he revamped that whole section and said, there's no need for all that nonsense anymore. Now we have a pack that doubles as a day pack and as a meat hauling pack. And so I think that's the other thing that at the time it was like, of course, people switched to it because it solved a problem that other packs on the market weren't capable of solving at the time. Yeah. As Steve said, Jay, I think we can, we could keep talking <laughs> all day. <laughs> Is there anything else? Um, I don't know that you want to share Jay or that you think like here at the end of the day, the reason that I wanted to do this podcast was um, selfishly. And I don't say this from like a marketing perspective, but literally because Steve and I have learned from you, right. And like your process, your perspective, your experience at the end, Bigger than that, though, it is a unique opportunity 
that a guy can, as you said, drop five grand on packs, have them all side by side and et cetera. So I just think regardless of like what people, what decisions people make on that content, what is helpful is that that content is actually there because there, there literally hasn't been a review or comparison like it. So um, I'm all for pushing that far and wide, not simply because of like what ratings happened, but just because it's, it helps the consumer. And at the end of the day, like, as you said, Jay, like companies, if they're confident in their product, they can be confident in just letting the information be there. And I think that it's going to help a bunch of pack companies, like having your review out there and just let the information be there. But are there anything you want to just add to that, like to the podcast audience who's listening now, maybe hasn't seen the review. Um, and maybe the answer is no, but I just want to give you the opportunity to share anything with guys who are tuning in. I think, I think the only thing that I would add, and I, I did a little blurb on this at the beginning of the, of the first review. And I, I talked about it a little bit here about tribalism. And then I would like, be a little bit more honest with yourself about why you like what you like. And when you're these, these purchases that we make and this gear that we run, it's really expensive. And it's also really important. Some of it is life or death stuff. And just, you know, we all suffer from confirmation bias, which is an active desire to find more information that supports an opinion we already have. And the reason that that feels comfortable is that when things are cognitively dissonant, when, when two ideas argue within our mind, that's uncomfortable and we don't like it. But one of the tricks I've done is that when I'm uh, considering a purchase, I will actively seek out negative reviews of that purchase before I make it because I want to be exposed to opposite um, viewpoints of my own. And I would say, ask a little bit more of yourself when you're considering a purchase and don't just run out and buy the first thing that feels good. Think about it a little bit more objectively and introduce a little bit more objectivity into your buying process. And I would also ask a little bit more of the people that you follow. I think this trend of like, you know, people being bought and paid for and coming off as giving, you know, my wife owns a magazine and in that world it's called advertorial. And it's when you buy ad space and make it look like an article and it's bought and paid for. And I think there's a lot of that in our industry. And I would just say, ask more of the people that you follow. There's nothing wrong with brand deals and partnerships as long as people are open and honest about the motivations for the messages that they're communicating to you. And it was just like, don't buy everything hook, line, and sinker. And just because, you know, your favorite, you know, hunting content creator wears something, it doesn't mean it's actually any good. doesn't mean it's bad either, but just have that little conversation with yourself and ask yourself some deeper questions before, you know, you hit add to cart. Yeah. That's pretty well said that, that uh, it's like being, being in behind the scenes of the hunting industry. I see all the stuff that's just fluff, you know, or, they remind me of, uh, I'm not going to name the magazine, but they reached out to me about three years ago. Hey, we're doing a comprehensive review of all the backpacks, basically like what you were doing. But the guy's like, uh, at the time, I think we were back ordered, And I was like, man, I could maybe squeeze something out. And he's like, well, the reviewer only needs it for like half a day. And I was, I mean, like just replied, nope, like, never mind. I have no interest in being, it was free review. Like, um, he just needed a pack for half a day. And I was like that, I'm sorry, but you can't do a pack review, uh, if you need my pack for four hours, like it just doesn't work. You're not going to be able to do any educated decisions and actually experience the pack and compare it to others. And so I just politely uh, declined and moved on, but that's, that's the, a lot of the world that we live in, right. They just uh, looking for um, 
content and willing to push a lot of stuff without actually putting it to the test. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, before I let you go, Jay, obviously we will add links to the show description to uh, your YouTube channel. Guys can check out the pack review uh, and all your other content there, but uh, we did skip an introduction. Uh, tell us a bit more about just briefly mindful hunter kind of like what content you have out there. I know you mentioned a podcast and we've obviously talked about YouTube and then also just kind of where, where you see things going, like what the vision is, that type of thing. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a little side project. It's called Mindful Hunter, YouTube, Instagram podcast going on almost two years now. Um, it's my side project and that's, I'm, I'm lucky. I don't need it to generate revenue. I'm, I'm lucky in that what I do is I'm, I'm pretty successful at it and it affords me the luxury to kind of blow some cash on my hobbies. And I feel very fortunate and grateful for that. And it's kind of funny. I'm going through a bit of a reinvention. I used to almost have these like meat eater has their four pillars and I used to focus on fitness, cooking, gear reviews, and filming my outdoor adventures. And ever since I really, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Jim Collins, but he has this thing called the hedgehog concept, which is this Venn diagram of these three circles. One is what you're most passionate about. One is what you think you can be the best in the world at. And three is what drives your economic engine. And lately, the more and more I've been thinking about that, like doing this review, it plucked some heartstrings that was like different than anything else. Doing something to this degree, how long it took, how thorough it was. I was like, I found my niche. Like, this is what I want to do. So I think moving forward, I will always, like hunting is number one. Somebody said tomorrow, you could just quit your job and go hunting and somehow magically your wife will be okay with you being gone you know, a half a dozen times a year, I, I would do it in a heartbeat. But these, the gear reviews and sharing information and being super analytical is, is where my heart lies. And I've kind of got a bit of a side project I'm going to be releasing here in the next couple months. And I think the direction that Mindful Hunter is going to be heading in is really doubling down. You know, there's so much other fitness stuff out there. I do have an extensive background in fitness and nutrition, and I think I've got something to add, but I don't think there's a gap in the market like there is in gear reviews. Cooking, I'm decent at it, but again, I think there's some people that knock it out of the park. I really like Steve explanations on one of the most recent podcasts. It was like, why doesn't XO make X? And at the end of the day, if, if you guys didn't feel you had the ability to add something of disproportionate value to the market that didn't previously exist, then there was an opportunity cost because you were just going to be wasting time making something that somebody else was already doing a pretty decent job at. And it was going to take time away from doing the things where you could have real impact. And this review, that's what it cemented for me. This is what I'm supposed to do. So I think moving forward, definitely still filming the hunting inventors. That's number one. But then Mindful Hunter will be primarily dedicated to these, I'm, I'm calling them like category reviews. We'll, I'll be picking one category at a time. I'll be finding through either polling on Instagram or my own research, the kind of top four or five products in that given category. And then I'm going to take you know one to two months to just put everything through the ringer. I'm really fortunate. Um, a very good friend of mine used to be the head of product development and product testing for Mustang Survival. And after doing this review, I had a really good conversation with him. And I think there's ways that we can develop some testing and some frameworks and stuff. Where we can really level up this. So that's, that's the direction moving forward. Cause I think that's the hole in the market. That's where I can kind of make my unique contribution to the space. 
I like it. It's definitely a, an unbiased review um, is needed, right? Uh, like you said, in comparison reviews. It's cool to me, Jay, that I'm sure that the name Mindful Hunter two or three years ago meant several things and probably yeah, has yeah. layers of meaning, but it's almost like solidifying even the naming and the way that you approach these reviews and how analytical you are and the way you're going to approach it. It's like that Mindful Hunter brand, even though it's shifting over time, like it probably makes more sense now to have that name. Yeah, that's a very interesting insight. I'd agree wholeheartedly. As I thought to myself, it's a mindful review. It doesn't get much more mindful than what we did. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, that's a wrap, guys. Don't forget to check out the links in the show description to see the pack review. But more importantly, hit subscribe on Jay's channel and his content. Because uh, as you've heard, there's a lot more reviews coming. And I'm personally excited to see all of his information and the way that he compares gear for my own sake. So I hope you guys enjoy that as well. Once again, if you have anything for us, you can send an email to podcast at exomountaingear.com and we'll be glad to talk to you soon.